your money today, Carolyn Wright finds out how businesses can navigate some of the legal challenges posed by opening offices outside mainland China. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. In your money today, I'm going to find out about a recently launched global legal network that connects Chinese in-house counsel and law firms with a vetted list of expert advisors to assist Chinese companies in the jurisdictions they either operate in or want to venture into around the world. The Sino International Professional Advisory Council, or SIPAC, was co-founded by Robert Lewis, who has practiced law for over 30 years in China, primarily on cross-border M&A, and he joins me now. Very happy to join. Thanks. Great to have you on the show. So tell me a little about SIPAC, how it came to be and what it offers. Well, I think a little bit of history is helpful. What we are seeing now, of course, in addition to all the geopolitical trends that are evident to all of us, we're also seeing a major shift in the Chinese legal profession. And over the years, we've seen that the local Chinese law firms have taken more and more market share on inbound investment and inbound M&A. But for a long time, the foreign law firms had had a very dominant and probably felt an unassailable position in helping Chinese companies on outbound transactions. But now the Chinese law firms are taking the significant leading role in these transactions. And that's a natural development for the legal market. But what happens is that the Chinese law firms themselves do not have the same history and resources around the world to be able to connect with leading independent law firms around the world. And on the other end, we find that a lot of these leading independent law firms, they find that China is such a vast market, and it's very challenging for them to get their message out and to raise their profile to make these connections. So what we're trying to do at SIPAC is we're trying to make those connections. We're trying to help Chinese law firms as they now assume this greater leading role in outbound transactions to be able to connect with their counterparts so that they can better serve their Chinese clients. Tell me about some of the most common legal challenges businesses face when they are looking to expand overseas and how having access to this kind of expert counsel can help them. Well, I think a lot of people, when they talk about Chinese outbound trade and investment matters, they do talk about a culture and a language gap. And actually, in my experience, a lot of that gap, when we talk about culture and language, it's actually the language and the culture of doing cross-border deals. So we had, for the longest time, we had only a small number of big Chinese companies that were engaged in outbound investment transactions. And they were learning how to play the game. But then we had in the last several years leading up to the pandemic, we had an influx of a tremendous number of new entrants into the outbound investment market. And they didn't really understand how to play the game. And so we'd see that there were disconnects when they were trying to engage with their counterparts on the sell side outside of China. And this created a big problem because the sell side has one major focus in these uh, outbound investment deals, and that's they want deal certainty. But because the Chinese side wasn't always on the same page with the foreign sell side, then it made it hard to actually negotiate and close these deals. And there were lots of frustrations on both sides. And now these things are complicated even more by the increasing geopolitical tensions that we see. So the purpose for SIPAC is to try to help with this engagement so that Chinese clients actually have a better sense of how deals are done. 
it's not just a question of the applicable law. It's actually what is the local practice. And that's something where we found, having done a lot of these surveys and conversations with lawyers around the world, this has been a major challenge for Chinese companies to figure out how deals are done, what the expectations are on the other side, so that you can actually build trust and reach a deal. I'd like to delve a little bit more into the aspect you mentioned there about the the trade tensions between uh, China and the U.S. How have you seen that sort of change the type of advice people come to look for from you? I would put it in a slightly broader context. It's the whole shift in the geopolitical environment. And we're seeing more of the what many people are calling the collective West and then the global South. And we're seeing more people sort of move into separate camps. But the thing is that China is right in the middle and cannot disconnect or disengage from the West, nor, in my view, the West cannot disengage from China. And yet at the same time, we're seeing these broad tectonic shifts in the geopolitical environment. But what's happened is that Chinese companies have really woken up to the need to pay attention to these global compliance risks. And I think a lot of it really hit home when Meng Wanzhou, the Huawei CFO at the time and daughter of the founder, was arrested in Canada as she transited through the Vancouver airport a few years back. Now, I actually followed those extradition proceedings quite closely, and there were a lot of weaknesses in the U.S. case, which is why she eventually was released with nothing more than a slap on the wrist, if that. But what happened in that process is the Chinese companies really paid attention to the fact that these were real risks and they had to pay attention. So I think that that is the major impact that we can see from this changing environment. When we talk to general counsels and chief compliance officers of major Chinese companies, number one item on their list is how to manage global compliance issues. That must be very, very complex, as you say. There's a lot that they have to bear in mind. You know, in fact, it's probably more complex than the casual observer may consider. And what it's led to, not only can we see some of these tectonic shifts in the geopolitical environment, but we can also see that China has started to adopt a lot of the same elements of a toolkit that they see that other countries, in particular the U.S., have adopted. But, of course, the difference is that China is not in the strong, dominant position that the U.S. is in terms of technology and particularly the dominance of the U.S. dollar in global transactions, which allows the U.S. to have extraordinary influence and assert higher levels of control than any other country could do. But one comment I was going to make is that China has, over the last few years, adopted some countermeasures, which are in terms of blocking rules, etc., that they actually copied EU and Canadian similar blocking rules. But actually, those blocking rules from the EU and the U.S. were designed to prevent the U.S. from imposing so much dominance on these issues in terms of secondary sanctions. But even the Europeans and the Canadians were never able to make those work. Very challenging for the Chinese to make those similarly structured blocking rules work. But here's the problem is that actually when you're entering into contracts and you have to have contract terms that talk about compliance, well, then you're saying, well, what if there is a conflict of laws? And there are some instances, particularly in China, but also 
technically, as a technical matter, in the EU and Canada as a legacy matter, where there is a conflict, where if you actually conform to and comply with the U.S. secondary sanctions, you are potentially in violation of local law. So that adds different level of complexity when there is a conflict of law scenario. That also requires significant inputs from more sophisticated and experienced legal counsel in the relevant jurisdictions. So this is exactly why you need all of the people involved in your network. Now, you've got a major event coming up in uh, November, the first Sino International Law Forum. Can you tell me what you're hoping to achieve with that event? We're actually responding to requests that we have received from general counsel of major Chinese companies where they have asked us to help create a platform where they can be communicating together and sharing best practices and then collectively access some of the best know-how and best practices around the world because these major Chinese companies, they're already international in their operations, and yet they need to build up their capability. They, too, were going to have more of an opportunity for lawyers from Chinese law firms and from in-house legal departments in China to be able to meet with representatives of our network from around the world. We will have senior lawyers from leading independent law firms, which have collectively coverage in more than 40 countries around the world. This will create an interesting opportunity where in-house lawyers and law firm lawyers who are involved in cross-border legal activities, they will be able to attend and be able to connect with these top lawyers from all of these different jurisdictions. Thank you so much for joining me today and explaining the background behind the Sino International Professional Advisory Council, or SIPAC, which was co-founded by Robert Lewis, who uh, joined me today. Thanks for having me.